It's called uh, Good Advice from Grandma. It says, uh, sitting at the edge of the bed, as I often do when I go visit her, I started describing what happened between me and a woman I had long thought was a friend, but now was beginning to sus suspect was a frenemy. After listening very attentively, she looked into my eyes, tilted her head, looked over the rim of her glasses and said, well, when someone shows you their ass, don't you be sticking around to smell it. She sounds like a fool in the fool. Yes, ma'am, I said, smiling. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Those were the words of Elonda Clay. Y'all, we fitting to go in deep like a tear of wheat this week. This is Profane Faith. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Well, welcome back. Welcome back, y'all. How you doing out there in podcast land? Hopefully you are staying as cool as you can. But if you're here in the Midwest, hopefully you are taking in those rays of sun and enjoying it. Because uh, we, we all know winter is coming back. Um, how y'all doing this week, y'all? Um, man, the, the whole oh, dog. I don't know how y'all doing. I am. I'm processing a lot, man, between another black man being killed. Um, just all the decisions that happened last week, either between the Supreme Court uh, decisions, plural, um, and just the continued, I mean, and not even that, but the Supreme Court is going to be changing here. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think about, you know, what the future is and, you know, how we how we move forward in this this craziness of, of time that we <laughs> are living in. And so, yeah, man, that's that's how I'm doing, man. But I am enjoying the warm weather. Um, again, if you're listening to this live and week to week, you know, we in summer right now. And so maybe you listen to this in winter right now and you thinking, man, I wish it was summer. Or maybe you in summer right now thinking, man, I wish it was winter. So I don't know, man. But at any rate, I like the summer. I like keeping my grass green and mowed and all trimmed up and everything. So I'm having fun doing that. Although that heat index was up around 105, uh, it's the least today. And so that's always a, that's always a challenge with that heat index. I can do, honestly, I can do probably around 85, 88, some 90s, depending on what kind of heat it is. If it's a dry heat, I can work with it. But man, once that humidity starts kicking in, yo, oh my gosh, it is it's something else <laughs> it's something else um 
So anyways, man, uh, it's good to have y'all back. Thanks for, you know, tuning in to Profane Faith. If you're following us week to week, thank you so much. Thanks for the faithful listeners. Uh, thanks for the emails. Thanks for the, the text messages. Thanks for the direct messages. Um, I appreciate your support. Um, we're hoping, I'm hoping to pass a thousand subscribers here. If y'all can help a brother get past a thousand subscribers here by the end of July, that would be great. We're, we're just, we're there. We're like at 880, rounding out 900, depending on who and doing what. So that would be awesome. Um, and my book, my new book, Homeland Insecurity is out. And uh, I do plan to do an episode on that. In fact, last week, if you were listening, uh, the great Angie Hong interviewed me on a little bit on that. And so I talked about that. And uh, But I do definitely want to do a little bit more. I'm working on trying to get a book launch. You know, here's the thing, man. I am no good at, at PR. I'm no good at it. I, I confess, I am not a PR person. I'm not a... Um, you know, I'm not one of those folks who thinks through like branding and all that stuff. And so um, I'm actually working with a guy now and I'm excited about that because, you know, I, I just need that. I need that level of help. And I don't feel I feel like I've done as much as I can with my own social media uh, that I just now I need to just need some help. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing that. So I'll, you know, check, you know, keep those keep those in mind. Y'all keep those in mind. I'll be definitely be letting y'all know when. You know, I get ready to drop. I think with this next book, you know, with Homeland Insecurity, well, I should say this book, that next one, but the, this one, uh, I really want to lean into this one and try to, you know, really promote this one and just what I, all the stuff that I've been doing and, and been doing for a long time and stuff. And so, you know, I think it's a little foreign to me. I think I think a lot of us coming out of evangelical backgrounds and having grown up in this kind of humble humility and and not wanting to boast oneself. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it's it's difficult. For some of us, not all of us, it's difficult for us to kind of just lift ourselves up and to really sell ourselves. I know I've always had that was one of my things, just even doing fundraising. I always, you know, I struggled with, um, you know, selling myself and, you know, uh, I could sell other things, but just myself, it was difficult. And so I've had to learn how to work and do that. Um, and now in the time that we're living in, you know, with just, you know, social media and you really have to stand out above the crowd, you know, it's definitely a challenge. So that's what i'm working on right now so i'd love to hit a thousand subscribers by the end of july if you can help me do that that'd be great tell your friends family um you know they can subscribe new episodes every week although i'm thinking about winding down season two and then getting ready for season three here in the fall and got some great ideas coming up for uh season three and you know if you have ideas by all means drop me a line um you can uh, go to either the websites whitehodge.com or whitehodgepodcasts.com and you can drop me a line there. In fact, if you go to White Hodge Podcast on the front, it just there's a little link that says drop us a line. You can click on that, send me a message. Or if you are, uh, again, if you you know go to whitehodge.com and it just, um, yeah, just the link on there says contact. Uh, it all goes in the same place. So please, 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 if you uh, have some ideas about shows or guests I should bring on, especially if you have connections to like, Good, some people like you know uh, like melissa harris perry or <laughs> michael eric dyson um that would be awesome because you know I'm, I'm working on some of those folks but you know it's difficult to get a hold of hold of some folks so um yeah let let a brother know um well i've taken up too much of your time already this week i really want to lean into this guest uh elonda clay she is amazing y'all you you about to see this conversation we had um on her book her new book and just you know, just poetry. That was the, that was the poetry y'all heard at the beginning. Um, it is amazing. She 
has an amazing gift. I met her through AAR, American Academy of Religion. If you don't know what that is, you haven't heard me talk about it on the show. Um, so I met her, yeah, through AAR, and it was it, from the j- jump. I was like, man, this sister is on to something. She is, whoo, she is something else. And so you fitting to see this little interview that her and I had in regards to her book, in regard in regards to being black, a uh, woman. Uh, a, a a person of faith and, and and religion and you know just her just her experience and particularly in higher education and work uh, I really do appreciate her perspective she uh, blew my mind on several occasions so you'll see and especially as when she starts reading her poetry um, as any good poetry is it is you know it is reflective of the times that are around. So Yolanda was uh, born in Kansas City, uh, Kansas, and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, and La Puente, California, out in Los Angeles. Uh, Yolanda is the author of Know That You Have Been Loved. It's on Amazon 2018. And for those of you listening, of course, you know, I will put all this in the show notes. Her debut poetry collection, and that's, that's her book, uh, you know, that you Know That You Have Been Loved. She's a poet, a librarian, meditation teacher, scholar of religion, and a PhD candidate at V I can't even say that's V-R-I-J-E. I ain't even gonna try to pronounce that. I, I messed that up, man. So I'm sorry, Lana. If <laughs> that is that university out in Amsterdam, Netherlands, in theology and religious studies. So she's 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 hitting it. She received her undergraduate degree from Kansas State University, a BS in physical science, and her has earned graduate degrees, plural from University of Missouri, uh, Columbia, MA in Library and Information Science, Gammon Theological Seminary, the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and MDiv, Luther School of Theology out here in Chicago, Masters in Theology and Religion and Science. So y'all, <laughs> this woman is, is, she's humble about her education, but she is smart. And although her debut poetry collection um, th- uh, although this is her uh, debut poetry collection, excuse me, uh, Alana has published numerous academic uh, articles and book chapters in various journals and edited volumes. She teaches workshops centered around the healing power of poetry and mindful meditation and self-care for professionals and college students across the United States. I'm hoping to bring her actually back on the show to get her perspective um, on energy and healing. I mean, I think this is definitely an area that I'm trying to head in myself and to better understand, you know, the human body in relation to, um, you know, the, the stars, the moons, quasars, astrophysics, astronomy. So uh, I'm definitely going to bring her back on and have, you know, have her share with us some of her knowledge and what that uh, what that means. So this is a great conversation. I had a lot of fun just talking. Like I said, it gets deep. Uh, I like the the arc of the conversation, which you'll see here in a, in a second. And I think you really enjoy Alanda. Again, for those of you listening, I'll put all these, her contact information in the show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com. Drop me a line. Tell me what you think about the show. Also tell me, you know, if you have any ideas for the show or, you know, if you yourself are like, look, I'm an interesting person. Shoot. Uh, come interview me, Dan. So <laughs> hit a brother up and um, I would definitely respond. You know what I'm saying? So. Without any further ado, here y'all is Alonda Clay. Alonda, welcome to Profane Faith. It's great to have you on here. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, uh, for the listeners, definitely want to get to this book um, and what you've done. But, you know, what has been your own theological, religious journey up until now? Which, where, where you been? 
where I've been. <laughs> well, you know, um, actually, I uh, I was not raised um, consistently in church. So, um, and and I have this strange story of. Uh, uh, childhood homelessness and um, actually we had a Jehovah's Witness come to our door and they uh, they helped us to get on public housing and brought us food uh, because we were actually um, squatting in a house Wow uh, for about two years and um, so anyway it <laughs> wow we went, we went there for a few years and uh, then we moved again um, my childhood was very um, nomadic in a way um, I think we lived in about nine different places uh, until I got to high school and um, basically at that point uh, we settled into uh, our first real home you know so so that's a little bit of my background. I went to Catholic schools, and um, and I uh, I started school at four. I went to high school at twelve, and I went to college at sixteen. Wow! So, um, but I can't say that I had. Um, I, I always had my mother, who certainly was a believer. She had. Um, very strong faith, and she still does, uh, and my grandmothers. Um, but for me, um, I was really allowed to explore religion on my own, okay. which I very much appreciated. Uh-huh. What? Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was thinking of my adult life. So in my adult life, I um I began attending a United Methodist Church around 29, and that was uh, basically a turning point for me, and uh, I've been United Methodist now for 20 years. Wow. And, um, and, and so that was my entry into organized uh, Christianity, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, and so what, because um, I know, you know, we are, uh, you know, for those of y'all listening, I, I I think where we met was AAR, correct? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think you were presenting somewhere. I was like, wow, this sister, she is, she got it down. And man, you were on committees and doing all kind of good stuff. And I was like, man, she is just smart. Because I think you you had introduced me to someone in like in the science and religion. Weren't you a part of that at one point, or or still are? Uh -huh. Yeah, I still am, actually. Um, and my interest in science and religion really grew out of my uh, my undergraduate degree, which was physical science, and then my first master's, which was in uh, library and information science. Wow. So I was really looking for ways to um, theologize technology. And uh, if, you, if you kind of look through some of the things that I've written, you'll see that I've, I have attempted to do that. But when I first went to seminary, I had a, I had the vision that I would write a black theology of technology. Oh, oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Shoot. So I'm I'm still working on that now, uh, but I'm calling it uh, cyber womanist um, theological reflections. Oh man! Wow, that is, that is that's that is dope. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. 
So anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a little bit of my my academic scholarly journey. But yes, AAR, um, the American Academy of Religion, was like a lifeline for me mm. uh, professionally and um, intellectually. Um, I just uh, it helped me to meet people like you, and also it just uh, continued to encourage me to uh, stay with my initial goal of completing my PhD. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would affirm that. I mean, I know for me, it's been it's the exact same thing. I mean, it's it's been, you know, by no means is it perfect and there's still a lot of room to grow, but it's been definitely, like you said, a lifeline. And really, I like to call it just my, my yearly, you know, travel to an oasis, you know, an academic oasis to just you know, I, I nerd out. I mean, I get I get a hall pass here from uh, from from my spouse, and so I, I get to nerd out for like four days, and so I really enjoy it. Um, what are some of the specifics here? I mean, when you think about the current era that we're in, um, and you know, I mean, there's all kind of religious rhetoric coming out now. You know, particularly with you know the 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 children who are being detained, and um, you know they were separated, now they're not, but now you know families are being detained indefinitely. You know, all kind of religious rhetoric is coming out, particularly from the right. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious, particularly from your, you know, your vantage point and your research and, and and whatnot. I mean, how do you how do you make sense of that? Do you not make sense of that? What does what does that look like, you know, to you as as if people are you know as Sessions is coming out saying you know this is this is God's will. This is the this is the Bible. This is what you know. The, this is this is biblical. You know. Um America has always been a country that has uh, made religion political and politics religious. Um, So uh, I remember uh, Jerry Falwell and and just all of the other kind of preachers who came through and religious leaders who came through and, and um, had different religious explanations for for events and or situations. But I, I really feel that uh, it's the uses of the Bible on both sides, you know, but really the push behind it is more uh, who can explain themselves religiously for political purposes. Mm. Um, certainly, uh, I just went to a rally um, earlier this week about um, the detention of unaccompanied minors, you know, and yeah. just the whole situation. Um, I think it's deplorable to use children uh, in order to get a wall built um, and in order to prove your point to to have this devastating impact on families. Um, but we're in a climate now where um, religion matters and the ways that it matters is that it is really shapes uh, people's actions politically. Yeah. So I, I, that's that's about all I have to say. Oh man! Well, I mean, I, I mean, that's that's that is. I mean, that's you, you're. I mean, I think you're spot on with that. Um, and and that's, uh, yeah. I mean, I just think it just is. So much of it has been weaponized. I mean, you know, and historically, I mean, I know religion is 
has been that way. I mean, I think about the film, The Book of Eli. Um, I don't know if you've seen that uh, before, but, um, you know, it's like this Holocaust type film and, you know, there's no Bibles left, but it's like, you know, the one, you know, antagonist, you know, this is, you know, this Denzel plays the, the protagonist and, and, and he, um, the, the one antagonist is like, you know, I want to, I want to get a Bible and I want to get religion going again because I saw the power it had. Like, if you want to control one city, that's great, but I want to control many and religion is the key. And I was like, man, that's, that's deep. That's, I'm like, man, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's certainly been on the side of power, even going back to Constantine, right? Mm, Yeah. Original adoption of Christianity by the Roman Empire. Um, Indeed, you know, uh, religion is powerful, um, and it's used sometimes uh, in ways that are positive and sometimes in ways that are negative. Yeah. Indeed destructive. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so what, um, cause see, I know, like I said, you know, I know you got to looking at your bio and again, for those listening, I'll put, you know, uh, Alanda's, uh, website in the, in the show notes. You can take a look at just her amazing work and, and whatnot, but what, what, uh, what's, what do you, what are you currently working on? I know we got this book, we got this text, uh, but what are you currently, uh, t- you know, in terms of research and all that? What's uh, what you got going on? Um, well, currently, um, I'm working on uh, actually how, the ways in which uh, the informationalization, which is basically basically the information society, the ways in which it impacts women, uh, and then what what could be responses then, specifically uh, responses within the frame of cyberwomanism mm. um, to these kinds of things. For example, um, there's five that I list. I actually, you know, I'll be doing a paper on it in at AAR. Um, <laughs> But uh, one one way in which uh, women end up uh, being disenfranchised is through what they call <clears throat> algorithmic bias. Oh, all right. So algorithmic bias um, can be anything from the, the ways that uh, results come up on Google to... Um, the ways in which uh, applications for jobs are weeded out. Okay. So, for example, you know, uh, they've often uh, did repeated studies that would say if you use uh, a name that is not ethnic, uh, typically speaking, you'll get more interviews, whereas if you have an ethnic name, uh, you get less interviews. And there are ways in which uh, algorithms are used to uh, ex- exclude certain groups of people. So that's just one way. Wow. Um, another another way would be, uh, of course, uh, the digital divide, which is still very real. Yeah. Um, and another way would be to talk about uh, uh, misogynism online, uh, specifically how... Uh, the ways in which black women uh, are reduced to mere flesh. And I've been calling that digital 
uh, pornotroping. Mm. But basically, what it is, it's the use of these. Uh, it's the use of the same scripts that we hear from uh, colonialism and slavery concerning the intersection of race, gender, and class. Um, but they are resurrected, and they're resurrected in ways that uh, target black women who are seen as public figures. Um, wow. So, for example, um, we could use Leslie Jones as an example. She's kind of recent, but even we could talk about uh, former First Lady uh, Michelle Obama. Yes, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, just the constant uh, uh, comparison of her to uh, apes and, uh, you know, the, the constant uh, just complete denial of her humanity through different discourses. Um, well, and there's even folks who will say she is a transvestite, that, you know, right. Obama is gay and that, you know, I mean, just like right. the whole... Right. Yeah. So all of that, which has moved into the digital realm, but it's really a form of cyber hate, right? We can even go just right to Roseanne and... Oh, uh, come on. <laughs> so in any case, these are these are things that I'm theorizing about and that I'm 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 researching through the lens of cyberwomanism. Wow. I mean that man, that's that's amazing. I mean because I, I, I do I think about just um just on even my campus, you know, predominantly white campus, um, and just how hypersexualized you know, particularly African-Americans are, but then, you know, you add the intersection of that. And then on one end, you have black male athletes that tend to fit a certain, you know, trope that, you know, the, you know, the white gaze wants, you know, wants to see, right? An athlete, uh, you know, mm. chiseled body, tattoos, looks a certain way. Uh, but then the African-American woman, you know, re this really goes all the way back to even, you know, the, uh, the slave tropes of, you know, big butt, breasts, you know, hips, you know, yes. and so it, it just, it's interesting just how those things get played out. Um, what, and I'd be curious, I mean, what, what drew you to that area of, of study and, 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 and yeah. <laughs> well, uh, like, uh, people that knew me at, uh, at ITC at the Interdenominational Theological Center, they knew I, I came with the you know, the intent to create this black theology of technology, right? So uh, so it's been kind of an ongoing uh, interest of mine, I should say, um, the ways in which um, the information society both empowers and disempowers uh, people of color in general and specifically black women. So. It's a, it's not a new topic for me, but it's a new lens. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm, to look at it through black cyber feminism and cyber womanism. And also to consider uh, what types of theological responses we can have to things like being over surveilled, um, this algorithmic bias that I talked about being underconnected in some ways. And of course the cyber hate, the misogynist, uh, discourse. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, um, again, I'm fascinated because, uh, I mean, on the, on the side I've, I've, and I've mentioned this several times on the show, it's like, you know, I, well, I love, uh, astrophysics and uh, astronomy and looking at, 
you know, things beyond our earth and whatnot. And so like mixing the religious and the the theoretical, you know, uh, you know, amidst that has, you know, definitely spawned my uh, spawned my my interest. You know, my working hypothesis on that is that uh, the God figures are like a type three on the Kardashev scale of alien technology, you know, someone who's able to harness all the power in their their uh, their galaxy and is able to manipulate, you know, time and space and stuff. And so that's my that's my working hypothesis on 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 on, on who God and the Godhead is. And so, science, technology, race, religion is, you know, that's kind of been my. If I had to go back now and do a PhD, that's definitely what I would focus in on. Um, and whatnot so yeah no, but you, you've done great with religion and hip-hop though actually no thank you no i no absolutely no absolutely <laughs> i i there's no there's i'm not knocking that i mean that's that's been a a great yeah. area you know just got a new book come out <laughs> myself scholars so. grow you know absolutely uh, and, and they grow in different ways so I, I understand what you're saying i think uh i think i would probably choose a different dissertation topic actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah right but uh but you know i i um i certainly enjoy the freedom to uh to explore different areas I, and i think some scholars get kind of p pigeonholed in some ways yes. uh, indeed they they either allow themselves to be put in a box or they they create that box themselves um so uh, i think it's good to explore different different topics different areas of interest yeah no no doubt no doubt um, so to this book, this is because this is good. I mean, um, know that you have been loved. This uh, poetry collection explores deep, how deep family ties, love and substitutes, grief, pain, struggle and laughter possess the potential to shape and inspire growth, healing and self-love. I mean, this is uh, this is amazing. What what prompted you? Because when you sent me the email, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is an amazing book. This is I, man, she got this in her too. Like, good night to the brilliance of Alonda Clay, man. I was like, man, you got the, on one end, the cyberism and all that. And then on the other end, you got this poetry. Like, so what, what, what led you to this, to getting this book done and, and out? Um, actually, I've, I've written poetry all of my life. There you um, go. But it's been one of those, uh, one of those activities that I, I shared with my family and maybe some of my friends, but um, I just wrote it for the joy of writing creatively. Yeah. And um, and actually, uh, there's a, there so there are several aspects to this book. One is that <clears throat> I wanted to. Uh, bring all of my poems together because they had been on notebooks and napkins. <laughs> <laughs> Random pieces of paper, you know. Oh, and, my um, gosh. So I said, okay, you know, let me let me get it all together. So after I did that, I was, you know, my mother always said, well, when are you going to put out your poetry book, you know? So I said, okay. Um, so I said, this this was the year. Um, so that, so really, it, it still was kind of personal, um, one of the reasons. But um, the other, another reason has been kind of my exploration of theopoetics. Mm, yeah. And um, thinking of ways in which um, theology can be engaged differently 
And I think my exploration into theopoetics has been amazing because one, um, I've used it in my own uh, journey of healing. Mm. And, uh, and I've also think that it's a way to engage audiences or to engage believers who uh, may or may not be engaged through theology and preaching alone on difficult topics, difficult conversations. Okay. So, so in this book, I include a poem called Me Too, Black Church, Me Too. And that poem is really about um, an attempted sexual assault that I experienced uh, in fifth grade uh, while attending a Catholic school. Uh, one of my teachers, who was also a pastor there, and um, that experience really has shaped, still shapes me in some ways. Um, and two of my friends, they were actually sexually assaulted by this pastor. Oh, and they, they went on to, uh, you know, just, they went on to have dip, uh, struggles with drug addiction and abusive mm. relationships, you know. Mm. Um, certainly I won't say that that was the only, only thing that, that, that shaped their experiences, but I... I just have, um, I have seen that it, it's just now being picked up by womanist theologians as a, as a point of activism. And I still have yet to see uh, male black theologians to talk about anything concerning sexual abuse, mm. sexual assault, or sexual harassment. Um, theologically. I haven't seen them wrestle with it. So I thought maybe theopoetics would be that window that would uh, would allow me to talk about it. Wow. <laughs> That's, that, is, uh, that is powerful. Um, wow. I mean, yes. I mean... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, wow, yeah, that's that's a that's good. Like what you just got through saying, like, you know, black male theologians, I mean, you know, dealing with that. And I think that's such a a major area. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, um, there's the uh, the organization is called Children of um, Kambahi and um and it is it deals specifically with clergy sexual abuse. Um, I think um, I'm trying to remember some of Valerie Bridgman is part of that, and um, oh, I can see her face. Uh, Thurman is part of her name. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, Thurman. Um, oh. uh, shoot. I, I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> This is bad. Look, I'm just going to go there and, and pull up her name. There you go. There you go. Yeah, because I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is so bad. Um, here we go. Let's see. Oh, this. why is this so convoluted sometimes? Okay, here we go. Um, the founder is Ahmad Green Hayes. Mm -hmm. And then there's... Um, Tomorrow Lomax is part of the, and um, Marshall Thurman is her name. Mar Dr. Yes, 
Thurman. Yes. There and uh, there's also um, Rhonda Manigault Bryant and Darnell Moore. So there's a, there's a lot of quality people that are on the board. Um, but they're an interesting organization, and they're the first of their kind, I think, to really start dealing with uh, the problem of clergy sexual abuse and or, you know, all of the related <laughs> uh, in, inappropriate activities. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, well, and that's I mean, again, that's, uh, you know, I it, it, I'd be very interested to just see, you know, you know, like you said, a study looking at that and like what have, what have been the instances and, you know, how have certain things been covered up? And, you know, because I always think about the folks who don't say anything, I mean, particularly men, I mean, uh, you know, because I've, I've worked a long time with, you know, particularly black young men. And, uh, you know, it takes so much just to get into a space to even talk about some of the hurts and some of the, 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 the softer areas that are that are still tender. And, you know, uh, all the folks who have been abused, but, you know, just never said anything, you know, particularly as young men. It's like, you know, you that's one of the things I loved about the film Antoine Fisher is like, you know, you have, you know, a an abuser that is a woman. I mean, you usually have a man coming after a woman, but a woman who's coming after a man. And like, you know, a lot of us just don't don't um, don't talk about that, you know, and don't talk about, you know, I know my some of my first, you know, sexual encounters were, you know, it was was older women. And, you know, and I didn't know what to do as a as a kid. You know, it's like, I, you know, what do you do? And, you, you know, then you get, you know, you talk to folks and it's like, you know, uncles are like, oh, man, you know, boy, just going over there, man. Shoot, that's that's a woman. That's a woman right now. You know, is there something wrong with you? You know, and so. Yeah. It, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like the perfect, like really and truly. And, and uh, you're not the only black male that I've heard that has this story. Right. But somehow uh, the story really of a, a young black male child being uh, sexually abused uh, by a woman, it turns into uh, like a badge of manhood, right? And so that yeah. disrupts how they can process it, right? Because yeah. there's still some shame, there's loss, there's confusion around it. Um, but it's valorized as part of this culture that has a specific uh, narrative about masculinity, right? Absolutely. Uh, and and how it uh, and how it is accrued, you know, or how it's achieved. And so uh, so male survivors uh, often end up um, having to really process it in a different way because they're silenced almost instantly and told, oh, no, this is good, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas um, female survivors um, are shamed and silenced uh, in ways that they internalize the violence. Yes, yes. Yes, that's a man. That is a that's a good way of, of putting it. I mean, I think about so one of my favorite poems in your in your text, page seventeen, naked. Um, uh. It's it, no, man. I was like when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, because I I do I think about that. I think about like what yeah. What does that mean when you strip away? It says you know, would you still fill me with the stories when I'm empty? Shelter me like a special hiding place. See me as a beautiful thing, or would you just see? how skinny and white I was. I'm like, oh man, that question that you leave at the end. And I'm like, that, 
gets a brother thinking right there. And he just says, as the millennials would say, you know, all into the fields, you know. I think that's what the millennials say, or the Gen Ys. I don't know. I, I don't know either. I'm an Xer, so. <laughs> but that poem right there, um, that's deep. Yes, you know, uh, and uh, of all of the, all of the different uh, hats that you have on, or just all the different roles that we take on, you know, yeah, um, people really uh, project a lot. Yes, onto other people. Yes, and uh, so I thought, well, what if you know, what if we literally had no nothing to let people know who we were. Uh, we didn't have skin color. We didn't have fancy cars and watches and clothes, you know. What if we didn't have large shapes or s smaller shapes, height, all of these things that people instantly see and judge? Yes. What yes. if we didn't have those uh, devices uh, to judge other people? We would still, would we still find ways to judge other people? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, my gosh. That is the truth. That is the truth. I mean, because I, I think about it. I mean, I think about I know, you know, one of the areas, you know, for me that I'm trying to, you know, work through is just, you know, my own body image and just, you know, just feeling comfortable in my skin and feeling, you know, loving myself. I mean, I know and this is stuff, you know, I've processed in therapy for a long time. It's like, you know, but really loving who I am physically like inside I feel like okay yes this is who I am but then physically the physical I've always felt like I was in pursuit of what is the perceived perfectioned body right and uh you know and just in that you know again that poem like naked it's like well you know what what does that when you strip away you know will we still find those and at least for me I'm asking myself like man like what are the constructs of that and what have I been told I should be mm, yeah yeah um, I, I would like to share another one called Please. Alive. Come on. It's called Alive, and I, I wrote I wrote it in memory of my brother who um, who passed away. Mm. Uh, he had a brain aneurysm. Oh man. And uh, but he lived a year after that, and I, I was his caregiver. So this was uh, this was for him. After I die. If I could tell them this, in the night the walls disappeared and in the day the walls return. After I die, if you could tell them what once was cracked plaster and peeling paint, worn brick and crumbling mortar, rusting steel and stained hoped windows, hope stained windows, I'm sorry, melted away. In its place instead were fields full of flaring suns and dancing moons, exploding nebulas and expanding galaxies. Tell them the stardust I once was became one in a passionate embrace with the cosmos. And in the moment I left while taking my last breath, I never felt more alive. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What, um, well, let me ask this. What was the process of, of writing that? And what, what is your process of putting poetry together? You know, uh, sometimes um, 
they um, they come to me in dreams. Mm. Um, other times I'm just outside and I notice different things. Uh, and I also free write, you know. Uh, so a poem is it's like being a um, it's like being a artist in a way because when artists see just an ordinary uh, scene, they capture the essence of that scene, either in a drawing or a painting, you know, in a sculpture. And a poet does the same thing only with words. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, well, that's, no, and that's the, that's the truth. I mean, another one that I, I found that was really good for me was, uh, you know, on page 21, refreshment. Um, you know, you talked about the drought outside has left my spirit thirsty. Your voice pours quiet into me uh, until calm is overflowing. I mean, I think that's, you know, in the fray of life and then just, you know, at least for me, you know, trying to, to raise a daughter in this, you know, in this in, in this era where screens and technology and, you know, nasty boys are, are, are everywhere. I mean, I had to, you know, go handle a little dude the other day just who was like, oh, I like you and I want to slap you on your butt. And, you know, he was trying to like corner my daughter. I'm like, wait, what? Now, what? I mean, this is what? What the hell are you doing? And so, yes, I mean, again, the drought outside, I mean, that at least for me, takes on many different different meanings. I mean, I think even a drought can be just in the amount of information that we receive on a on a daily basis. I know I have to just like fast from social media and just news feeds because it's just it's a constant, and it feels I feel like it can just drain me without uh, there's there's no replenishment. There is no replenishment, and so that was good. You know that whole refreshment uh, part of that. Okay. Uh, yeah, the refreshment. Uh, uh, look, Dan, uh, a refreshment is is a little bit more about lovers. It's about a lover. No, okay, no, no, no. Come, come with it. That's that's that's. <laughs> I know. I t- I know. I t- I took it in a different way. Bring that to the lovers. Yes, absolutely. It's for lovers. Uh, <laughs> so, um, it says yes. The drought outside has left my spirit thirsty. Your voice pours quiet into me until calm is overflowing. So hungry am I for your conversation. Each word blooming forth from your lips sounds juicy, ripe, and sweet. You unveil yourself to me a full course meal that fills the room instead of the daily special. The aftertaste of your tongue and sweat would linger on my palate like a fine wine and gently lull me to sleep. Mm. That's what's up. So that one is that. I also, you know, I have a section where I'm just dealing with different kind of social, social issues. And, um, one of them, of course, was uh, the Me Too poem, which envisions if Me Too actually meet it, meets the black church. Um, but there's one line from that one that I wanted to share because yes. I thought it, it was kind of funny. Yes, please. So let me see it. Okay. Um, I'm just going to read like the first part of the poem. Um, 
I am still a little leery. When a pastor puts his hand out to shake mine, when he puts his hand on my shoulder, when he gazes past my face and begins to lick his lips as he encourages me to meet with him for a mentoring in his office sometime soon. Maybe I just have post-traumatic ratchet pastor disorder. Leery like an antelope when a lion is lying near, held like a captive to complicity as violators rewrite the stories of those that survived their violent crimes. Pastors who pray then prey upon their flock only to be forgiven, move away, then pray again. So, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> But you know, the, the line, the post-traumatic ratchet passage. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know where <laughs> that came from. And it, and it's a strange thing to laugh at, I know. But um, I, I think you can see kind of it's a dark type of humor of a survivor, I guess. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, ab-so-stinking-lutely. Ab, I mean, yeah, yes. And that's why, again, this is why I'm glad, you know, even, you know, to have, you know, the artist herself here, because it's like, again, you can explain like, no, that's not what I meant. You know what I'm saying? This is what I meant by that. This is what's going with that. So, I mean, that's beautiful because I think that's, and that even ties into, I mean, just even scholarship. I mean, I think so many times it's like, you know, people who analyze just, just the lyrics without actually looking beyond, you know, the scope of that. And it's like, well, but did the artist really intend that to go that way? I mean, I don't know, but this is, oh, this is, this is great. But that poem right there is, ooh. It's, it's a, it's, it's a deep poem. You gotta, you gotta hold on to the end of that poem. <laughs> the mentoring, and, the, the, yeah, yes. But I also, I have several poems that are, are about scholars or scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, I have one that is titled Du Bois Flashing Back on Seeing Sam Hose in the Grocery Store. And wow. really, it's a it's a poem about the the event of the lynching of Sam Hose. And that lynching represented a turning point for W.E.B. Du Bois in his scholarship. Um, because, and I'll just, I'll quote the end of the poem hmm. where he says, one could not be a calm, cool, and detached scientist while Negroes were lynched, murdered, and starved. Hmm. And um, so I found out about this turning point that Du Bois had uh, while I was um, doing research in Germany. Um, and, um, but it, it really had an impact on me because uh, when you hear his account of it, which I kind of recreate and embellish upon, um, that event where he actually sees pieces of Sam Hose being sold in the grocery store. Wow. Um, it, it, it inspires him. I think it's maybe this happens in 1899 and a few years later, he writes the souls of black folks. Wow. So he's, he's moved, you know, to, to really become an activist at that point. 
And then I also included uh, two poems, one which I called uh, A Scholar's OCD, one and two. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so they, they basically deal with... Uh, deal with scholarship and, and getting published, but also kind of negotiating that with the, uh, the different people that you are accountable to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to just read a little bit from one and, and, uh, then I'll read a little bit from two. Go oh, yeah, please. Uh, okay. A scholar's OCD one. The tone in this chapter is too combative. You need to tone it down. This sentence is too controversial. You need to choose your words wisely. You are an early career scholar. You need to stay in your place. Does my scholarship always have to reflect my identity? You know, I can make ethnocentrism and the violence of racism and sexism just as invisible as some other scholars do, I think. But my skin color tattoos even my written words. My being woman stamps my sentence structure as different and defective. My working class and homeless childhood still lives in the abandoned spaces of the page. Line by line changes. Change this to that. Change female to male. Change black to white. Change sisterhood to cutthroat. Change compassion to objectivity. Change ally to cis silence. Change the mm. way you talk at home to the king's English. Mm. Change your tone again. Bring down that bar of shine so you do not upset anyone. Sign my contributor contract with my own blood. You will receive a complimentary copy, but no money. You will receive another line to put on your CV. You publish or you perish. Consider yourself very special. The press editor is inquiring about whether I prefer African-American or African-American with a dash. Really, I prefer black, as in black is beautiful, as in black and proud, as in what shall I tell my children who are black? But I'm too tired now to make that correction. African-American, no dash. They say, thank you so much for your contribution, Elonda. I say, yeah, you welcome. <laughs> so that was the first wow. one. <laughs> Woo! Dear Lord, you were saying you were. I'm sorry, I was just taken by that. But yeah, you were saying. Oh no! I think the line in the second one that I really like is, um, <laughs> I said, "You have to be OCD to be a scholar because only scholars will say that dead writers are their conversation partners. Yet they are afraid to talk to their ancestors." <laughs> mm, yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh man and the contribution the, the contribution page you get a free copy oh man that is <laughs> wow yeah you know uh so that of course you know comes out of the process of publishing <laughs> yes yes it does <laughs> yes it does oh my gosh wow 
These are powerful. Mm-hmm. These are powerful. I mean, seriously, I mean, these are like guttural, like, oh, man. I mean, just as you're reading, I'm like, yes. And it sounds so much better from you reading it rather than me reading the, uh, the you know, just on the page and stuff. Because, I mean, so seriously, because it's like, man, the emphasis is put in. I mean, and then it gets me thinking just, you know, I think in images. So it's like, oh, my gosh, that's the truth, you know. Um, yeah, I'm mean, one publisher wanted me to. Because I, I went through and I mean, same thing. We say black. I was like, I wanted, I wanted black, but I wanted capital B black. And they were like, Oh no, 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 that's not, you know, that's not the way we do it. I was like, and I had to like fight to get that, you know, um, you know, to get that, you know, throughout the book. Because they, you know, the editor, the copy editor, went through and just took everything out. Like, no, that's black, lowercase b. And I was like, Nah, fool. I knew, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know, it's it's that it's that really it's not so subtle really, but it's it's a it's the policing and the push to conform your thinking, your argument, you know, to certain norms, whether they be norms of um, you know markets yeah. or norms of committees <laughs> yeah. or norms of the professor who is teaching that course, you know, um, and right. then, then it just becomes, uh, will you, will you do one of three things? Will you just get, do what you have to do to get it, get by, you know, and get away from that person? Will you, uh, fight, right? So you have to pick and choose what you're going to battle about yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah so whoo mercy mercy yeah that uh that's that's deep that um and the uh, you know the the one on w e. du bois i mean that was that, that that one you know again that one still just haunts me as well that you know that last quote um yeah yeah because he you know i i tried to after I read his autobiography and I, I tried to envision what it was like for him to be, he was actually going to deliver, um, it was uh, an article for the Negro paper that was going to argue Sam Holes's case because what happened with Sam Holes was that he, uh, he ended up killing his landlord um, because he wouldn't pay him. So he killed the male um, but uh, by the time the week went by, uh, the wife had said that she had been assaulted and, you know, just all types of stories had risen around Sam Hose. So um, by the time he was um, dragged away from where he was in Noonan, Georgia, um, there was uh, actually a crowd of 2,000 mostly white people, um, they didn't just lynch Sam Hose. Uh, it's very graphic, and the poem is graphic, shows that. Um, they cut off his ears, and they cut off his penis, and they put him in a, um, you know, they basically burned him. And then after they burned him, they took his body and began to cut out his heart and cut out his liver and slice it into pieces and put it into little memento uh, glasses. And this was the grab 
to have a piece of Sam Holes that indeed uh, ended up showing up in the grocery store in glass, you know, mason jars the next day in Atlanta. Um, so that's what the poem is about. <laughs> yeah, that. Wow, man. That's what that poem is about. So, yeah, but it's also about turning points for a scholar, you know. Yeah, yeah. You see something that just you can't shake that sends you in a direction you never thought you would be going. Yes, yes. No, that, that all, all of that. Man, golly. Man. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. That, was, that, was a, that was a hard one to write, too. Um, and, you know, it was so strange because this year there was a... There was a young black man, I don't know the details, I think it was in Texas, though, where they, he was trying to buy a gun from someone off of Craigslist. And basically, when he got there, they ambushed him and they shot and killed him. And it was a family, it was like a mother and her sons. Um, he was black, they were white. And they cut his body into pieces and put him in the river. And Jeez. I thought to myself, this is 1899 when Sam Holes is lynched, and here we are in 2018, and lynching is still happening. Yeah. Um, so that makes the poem, you know, ever so relevant even today. <laughs> oh, man. Exa exactly. Mm -hmm. Man, oh, man. Um... I also liked your, uh, on page, let's see, 86, 87, uh, Booty Supreme, <laughs> No Thigh Gap. <laughs> that was awesome. Yes. Now, uh, there's, a, <clears throat> there's a, a poet named Lucille Clifton, and she has a poem that's called A Homage to My Hips. <laughs> so uh, I was kind of inspired by her, but also just inspired by my experiences being a black woman who, you know, who is endowed with, uh, uh, I don't even know how to say it besides this booty supreme, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Here you go. So, uh, so, but my point was to say, you know, Again, it's one of those projection things, right? Um, yes, I am shaped this way. I did nothing to be shaped this way. Um, but uh, it has become uh, this ongoing, ongoing point of conversation. So an experience, really. But I don't let it define me. That's the, I mean, that's the, the gist of the poem. Like, yes, all of these things. And so you can see my humor there, you know. Um, so I'll, I'll read a little bit of that one. Yeah, please, because that first paragraph, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> this is, okay, wait, let me say the title, A Booty Spring, No Thigh Gap, right? This is 100% grade A homegrown organic black woman's booty right here. No Hollywood injections of silicone, no sewn-in booty pads, no 10 sets of squats, no cold laser sculpting. Mm. 
Only a shape and a shaper with stretch marks and cellulite that would make Kendrick Lamar sit down and be humble. <laughs> like Venus Williams, not the Greek one, I am a goddess, and my essence extends far beyond this pretty round work of art. I don't know what it's like to have a thigh gap, but I definitely don't want one. My thick thighs and booty supreme don't define me. I got this booty from my mama and melanin. And you can see I'm not a Kardashian or an Instagram model or celebrity. There's so much more to me than this beautifully designed behind. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So that's a... Uh... Yes, that is it. But you know, so it's just kind of a sassy response to all of the attention that comes with having a, a black woman's shape. It was my particular shape, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> no, ab absolutely. I mean, this is. That, I mean, again, just I mean that opening paragraph because I think about it. I mean, having lived in L.A., I mean, you you were I mean you were there too. I mean, Southern California, but I mean at that, yeah, uh, yeah. that the the ongoing. I mean, you know, it's always interesting to go back to L.A. because it's like you know the billboards that say you know plastic this and get that and get that. Oh my and, goodness, yes. You know what I'm and saying? And if you don't have it, people look at you strange. Like you haven't had a boob job, right? You haven't had this done. You haven't had you know. So it's like. Uh, you're a straight. You're an alien because right. you have not had this plastic surgery. <laughs> it, well, you know what? I mean, at one of the universities I taught at out there in Southern California, that was that was the number one graduating gift uh, for young women um, mm. from their from their from their family was uh, breast enhancement. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I believe Ooh, it. Mercy. And even now, you know, women are certainly a lot of. Uh, of movie stars have begun getting the silicone injections in their oh, behind. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, but I, that's where I'm like, hey, you know, I I got it, I got it, and I didn't have to go through all that. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Man, oh man. Uh, but uh, I also laugh and I say, boy, you know, uh, it's like it was like the slow rise of uh, what they call big booty beauty, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's like it wasn't really in style, but then all of a sudden it was really in style. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that is yes. So, uh, but I, I also wanted to share the poem that I had written for my mother. Yes, please. And um, and this one is really it's like a life cycle poem, um, and it's about a mother and a child and. So that is where the title of the book came from, Know That You Have Been Loved. Sweet, precious child in my arms, I'll sway you into sleep. Your breath so lightly on my heart makes this life complete. Small, wandering one, running through the grass, I'll try to guide your step. Life's little questions on your lips shows me how much I've been blessed. So I tell you from the very start, you have been given love. I stored into your mind a love for beautiful things. You gave me pride and joy. 
and I reluctantly gave you wings. Sweet growing seed, open up and see what life's all about. When you feel pressed from all around, let God's wisdom be your way out. Oh my dear, from the beginning, I have taught you love. And when you had your own children, be them boys or girls, my smile was surely the biggest one, welcoming them to this world. I celebrated your first gray hair, which to me meant you finally gained a strength and courage to call your own. Through the years, one thing hasn't changed. Well, I hope by now, honey, you have seen love in action. And now the scene is turned around. In your rocking arms, I rest. Run your fingers through these soft white hairs of mine, and my smile will tell you, yes, oh, sweet baby of mine, know that you have been loved. Wow, man, that's amazing. That's uh, that's a good point right there. Just uh, that's a great note to to end on, to pause on. I mean, that's that's great. Um, man, where can uh, folks find you uh, to bring you out and give you that uh, you know six figure honorarium and put you on stage <laughs> and get some screenplays made from these poems? <laughs> Oh, well, uh, I can be found. Uh, well, the book is on sale on Amazon. Excellent. If you just look it up by the title, uh, know that you have been loved or by my name, Elonda Clay. And uh, I have my own website for booking. Um, so I can be contacted at elondaclay.com. And um, so that's how you book me for that very nice honorarium <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> and again for those of you listening i will put all these you know in the show notes and please just go out and get this book this book is is amazing it's and it's you know and it's, a, it's a quick read you know know that you have been loved poems by alonda clay alonda thank you so much for taking the time and and just sharing with with all of us today Thank you for inviting me again. I really, really am honored to be on your podcast. No, this is great. And then we're, I, I want to get you back because we didn't even get to energies and like, you know, spirit beings and all that. I mean, we <laughs> just barely scratched the surface here today. Good night. Yes, that is a whole another topic, which kind of goes with my move towards meditation and healing. Um, because uh, basically, uh, I believe until you can get to healing, you you can't really get to the fullness of the person that you want to become. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I would really appreciate coming back and talking about some of those things. No, yeah. I'm serious. No, I'm gonna. I definitely. I wanna. I wanna definitely have you back. I mean, that's in fact that's. One of the things I'm thinking about for my next season, I mean, the season zero podcast, but um, is is to actually look at, you know, what does that road to healing look like? What does, you know, especially in this, like I said, this era that we're in, it's like, what, what does that look like? And I know, I mean, I have my own journey, but just, just listening to other folks and, you know, what they've gone through and just and where you're at. And uh, yes, yeah, so 
I'm I'm bringing you back. I I mean that. Shoot. All right. Well, I don't mind at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and I will talk about energy then. I I'm talking about it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh my goodness. And oh, real quick before we go, the picture on the cover. Oh. I love it. <laughs> yes, you know that is uh, my mother and I, and I think I'm nine months. Wow. And. Um, my mother actually she was a young mother she had me at um 15. wow okay so uh so she was a young mother but she she really was an outstanding uh, mother regardless of her age a very strong influence on me certainly and just uh, a very powerful model of womanhood um, that i still draw from <laughs> yes yeah. Yes, yes. So that is that is the two of us and I always tell her you are my first love and I'm <laughs> I'm not lying, you know. She is definitely my first love, so I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, it's definitely it's a beautiful picture. I, that's why I I, was, I I definitely got a comment. I had that in my notes and I was like, "Oh, I got to bring that up here." But um thanks again, Alanda. This was great. Oh, thank you. 